Hey, alright, and welcome to Better Yet. I'm Tim Crisp, your host. Better Yet is a conversation about music, and our conversation this week is with Jake Ewald of Slaughter Beach Dog. Jake returns to talk about the new Slaughter Beach Dog record, At the Moon Base, a treasure of a record, and a treasure of a human. We're back baby 2021 with a bullet thank you for joining us thank you to namdi for our intro music marcus nuccio for our graphics each week you can see all those on our website betteryetpod.com invite you all to subscribe on apple podcasts and leave us a review you can also follow us on bandcamp betteryetpodcast.bandcamp.com jake ewald's back and this time it's personal <laughs> couldn't help myself um jake and i talked in september of 2019 and you can go back and listen to that interview by going on bandcamp going on apple podcast how we doing out there this past week oy, oy, oy. what do we do here i hate talking about this stuff but you know what i love talking about George Orwell, I'm rereading homage to Catalonia. I remember the day I bought that book. I was in Madrid. I went to the Prado that day. I saw all the Boscos and the Vander Weidens, uh, Bruegel's Triumph of Death. While we're on the topic of men draped in animal skins, there's got to be one of those in that fucking painting. Uh, but Homage to Catalonia is Orwell's book about fighting in the Spanish Civil War on the same side as the anarchists and with the Marxist party fighting against the fascists. He's also very critical of Stalin, despite being a socialist. Can you imagine that? Uh, I recommend it. I encourage anyone to learn more about the Spanish Civil War. It's a very glossed over bit of history, but I've been fascinated with it. Ever since I heard Spanish bombs and, uh, you know, allegory for our time, I suppose. But, Orwell, are you kidding me? This podcast has a Patreon, patreon.com slash podcast, where we've got some fun audio visual programming available to you. Patreon exclusive podcasts like oversights where i talk to guests about albums we might have missed like fiona apple's when the pawn which i discussed with dave collins of slow mass or swordfish trombones relevant to my conversation with jake this week i talked to sean newman from jubert styles and rap boys about that one we got a whole slew of bonus audio from the Life's Work podcast about Laura Stevenson's Sit Resist, all my interviews with Laura, as well as my conversation with Chris Gethard, are available on our Patreon. Plus, we get a weekly contribution from our guests, a special piece of bonus content. Brian Funk of Thou last week gifted us with an entire unreleased live set that Thou recorded in 2018, playlist from Lucy Dacus, Sarah Tudson of Illuminati Hotties, covers Augusta Koch doing June on the West Coast by Bright Eyes. 
Sinai Vessel Covering Refugee by uh, Thomas Petty, Tony Molina, and Rose Melberg did GBV's 14 Cheerleader Cold Front. And this week, oh, we got Slaughter Beach Dog covering Drunken Angel by Lucinda Williams off car wheels on a gravel road. One of my probably top 10 all-time favorite records. This guy, Jake, I'll tell you what. And we've got two tiers of Patreon pledging available, and we made some adjustments during the holiday break. So if you pledge $3 a month, that will give you access to all the bonus audio and visual content that we're posting weekly. And if you pledge $10 a month, you get that bonus stuff. We are also going to do a piece of merchandise every three months. We've got custom printed pocket notebooks that are shipping out next week. I made a block print of our logo, printed on the front cover of these little notebooks, and they look sharp as hell. You pledge to our Patreon no matter which tier you're pledging to. We split the revenue here from this podcast evenly between the show, the guests, and organizations chosen by our guests. We're paying Jake for this interview, and we're sending money this week to Barbershop Books. Barbershop Books works to create child-friendly reading environments in barbershops to help encourage black boys ages 4 to 8 to identify as readers by building positive reading experiences. Happy to be helping them out this week. Happy to be paying Jake for his time. The guests make this show what it is. If you'd like to support it, go to patreon.com slash podcast. All right, my guest this week is Jake Ewald of Slaughter Beach Dog, Jake Blade in modern baseball from 2011 to 2017. He started his solo project while Mobo was still active. And when we talked in 2019, he just released Safe and also No Fear, which to me at that point was the best record he'd been a part of. Our conversation was a lot of fun. I remember saying to him, you're on a good track. Keep doing whatever you want. And this new record at the moon base, you want to talk about weird. This thing is out there. Some really surreal and abstract lyrics, synths, lots of saxophone. What's centered around great songwriting. I fell in love with it instantly, and I've only grown to love it more in preparation for this interview. It's a good one. Thanks for listening. We will be back next week. Subscribe to the show. We're on Patreon, patreon.com slash better yet podcast. For now, here's me and Jake Ewald. Are you there? Did patience wane? Did you fall asleep? Do you four track recording of rain? Do you feel tame? Do you feel insane is there anyone in the audience currently living in vain i know but hey you got a wheelbarrow and that's fucking huge yeah that's huge (laughs) put it in the back of the car rolled it on home yeah it's cool so so and and when did you move into that spot we moved 
<clears throat> a couple days before Halloween. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it's been a couple months. Are you unpacked? I'm nowhere we... near. <laughs> well, our thing was, we were when we were still in Philly, we started packing like the moment that we found this house, pretty much, because we were like we had done so many shitty moves before that we were like, we're gonna pack really well, we're gonna pack early, and we're gonna make this really easy, and so we basically spent like two months in our little row house in Philly with everything like in boxes everywhere. And it was like mm-hmm. even less livable than our little row home in Philly was before. Right. So as soon as we got here, it was like, yo, we were getting all this shit out of these boxes immediately. And we actually did everything in like less than a week. I think it was like four days that we did it. And when know. we got done, we did actually kind of like collapse, but it was cool that we did it. I don't even know why I asked that question because it was—I knew it was only going to depress me. I believe in you, though. There's still time. Oh. I mean, everybody goes at their own pace. We did it strictly out of like total sickness and yeah. lack of satisfaction. So. See, my sickness was was the day before we actually moved. My sickness brought me to the suburbs with Dave from Rat Boys. To go oh. to an estate sale so that I could buy a Moog pedal. Oh, that's, nice. I don't even know what the thing does. I was just like, oh, I want that. Uh, and then I like bought a cabinet nice. basically to just justify to my partner. Oh, no, right. no, it, it's, it's, for the it's house. good. Yeah, we're going to use this cabinet. Well, look at this. Isn't this a beautiful pedal? She's like, are you the kitchen? You said you were going to do the kitchen. Yeah, you got to find a little bit of joy somewhere. (laughs) Somewhere. (laughs) Somewhere. I have those same pens. These are fantastic. If I did go to different pen, it would be one of equal quality. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It feels like like a new world. Nice. I, when I'm writing, writing, I write on the computer, Mm -hmm. uh, just in pages. Uh, but when I'm, journaling or just like you know emptying my mind or drawing than I do it in uh I was doing like line journals for a while but Jess for Christmas or before Christmas got me one of these like hardcover um like dot journals like yeah, all the graphs that's dots the bullet on. that's the bullet oh, okay there you go Beautiful. she's been on yeah. them forever mm-hmm. and she got me one and I've been pretty into it it feels just more like you know, free form. So, I'm glad that you mentioned drawing because uh, this is probably something that would have been lost just in the excitement <laughs> of having you back on <laughs> the podcast. <laughs> um, the The cover um, is a, is a is an original composition of yours. I was I was legitimately surprised to see that you drew that because. 
that's a very very sharp drawing Thanks, that you man. did there have you been drawing for a long time i have loved drawing ever since i was like a kid and that's just come in phases of actually doing it or not doing it but this is the, so whenever quarantine started that was the first time that i really like sat down to seriously kind of what what i was just saying about figuring out what i actually like like mm-hmm. over the summer was the first time that i sat down and started looking at more different stuff and trying out different things and trying to find kind of like a general style that i liked that i enjoyed drawing and that i also liked looking at um yeah. and i just ended up after a lot of like you know a few months of just trying a bunch of different things, I kind of accidentally settled into that thing that the cover kind of looks like. Yeah. Uh, and I uh, I just kind of, like, started doing that for fun. And then after I made the record, I was, like, I was going through a couple different photos that I would maybe use for the cover. And then I was, like, I'm just going to go through my journal from the summer to see if anything was cool. And I found that one, and I was, like, I like this one. So It's really sharp. And I don't mean to put you on the spot by asking, like, who, you know, who you were uh, influenced by or when you say, you know, finding the people that you like. Um, But I'll give you the totally uninteresting answer. Oh, yeah. Which is that I was um, I had been I started out watching a bunch of YouTube tutorial videos on like figure drawing. Uh-huh. Because I have never had like any concept of proportions and everything, right. um, and I was really into that for like probably like two or three months practicing that a lot, and then it kind of I got pretty tired of it, and I was like I'm going to try something kind of different, and I just found this guy I don't remember his name I'll send it to you after but I just found this YouTube right. guy who's like he lives in. Um, line drawings and watercolors of just like cityscapes and like people in crowds and that was the thing that got me was like he would draw these line drawings of people in crowds and I think I always (laughs) I feel like a lot of my songs are about people in crowds and I just generally that's that's something that attracts me a lot like groups of people I don't know in public Mm -hmm. doing their thing undisturbed so what I saw him drawing those things and they were very like you know loose and partially like not defined but partially defined and I was like oh this is cool I want to try that so uh there you go that's pretty much it that's a really funny way to (laughs) describe what you're interested in because the moment you say it in that (laughs) way it's like oh Yes. All of these <laughs> records are either love songs or uh-huh. people in crowds. <laughs> I don't know what it is. Your it imagination. Really yeah, for hmm. real. And your imagination had to be working fucking <laughs> tenfold during this time that we're living in while you're writing this record at the moon base. Yeah, that was... <laughs> it was funny. I had this phone call kind of like in the middle of the summer when I was talking to Eric, uh, who managed modern baseball and still manages Slaughter Beach Dog. And 
I don't know if this was like the intention with which he called me, but it came up during the conversation that he had like, that had kind of clicked with him. He was Mm -hmm. like, oh, have you thought about how like all the songs, you write all your songs when you like go ride on the subway, you like go sit in a coffee shop and you like watch people and hear things. Have you thought about like what you're going to do now? Do you think you should like read more or like do something? And I was like, oh yeah, that's uh that's a good point. I can't really do those things anymore. <laughs> but I definitely have just been reading a lot. And honestly, with... But even with those, a lot of these songs were... ...computer and write, but when I sit down, before I start going at least for some of them, before I start going, I will think, I'll try to think of a memory at any point in my life that was affecting, just like something that happened to me that was affecting enough that I remembered it. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I would just roll on it. So a lot of the, which is kind of, because what I have, did a lot with Modern Baseball and still some of Slaughter Beach Dog is like I would wait for something to hit me in reality yeah. and then grab it and go try to chase it down. But more recently I've been just in this thing that's like I'm like how old am I? I'm 27 years old. I've done like You're a- old enough to to not remember exactly how old you are. That's the exact <laughs> age. There. Yeah. Yeah. 26, 27 it it just becomes how old am I? <laughs> it doesn't really right. matter anymore. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely doesn't. <laughs> no. But it's but that's the thing. It's like, because enough shit has happened in every direction that I'm kind of just like, I've got such a huge bank of shit that even if I am stuck inside, I can just, you know, I can remember things that happened to me when I was like 5 or 10 or 15 or 22 that all, like, you know, had a pretty big effect on me. And most of the songs I've written in my life at this point are about, like, things that happened to me between, like, 20 and 22. Yeah. So it's been funny to sit down and be like, you know, what did I actually do? And then kind of mix that in with, you know, feelings that I'm feeling currently or, like, stuff that I did read in a book or heard in another record and just, like, mash it all up. Yeah, it's it's kind of like it gives you it gives you a place setting and mm-hmm. you can sort of dictate whatever you want within mm-hmm. it. Definitely. Yeah. Cuz I feel like a lot of times for me the hardest part is finding the place to start. Like if I can plan the place to start, then I can tack anything else on it. Mm-hmm. But sometimes you just need like a good origin. Right. And then suddenly you're experience at the in the checkout line becomes Mm -hmm. an entire conversation exactly yeah that's where where did this come from like i that's that's a really good way to to go about because i one of the things that really attached to me in our last conversation was the way that you seem to have a consistent way of of getting yourself into a space where you're allowed to be creative 
that mm -hmm. starting point seems to be something that you are consistently finding throughout. Do you, do you, do you know where like that idea came from? Or if um, that's like not a, not as interesting, we can move no, on. No, it's definitely, I would actually, I don't know if it'll be interesting to you, but for me, the truth is that the reason I can do that now is because I've spent the last two or three years in therapy trying to in the beginning it was learning to accept the fact that this kind of thing is my job mm -hmm. and I need to spend time on it and the time that I spend on it is not just going to band practice or going to play a show and it's even not just sitting down to write a song it's like taking time to go on a walk or taking time to read a book or taking time to look at art that I like and taking mm -hmm. time to like do all these different things that just set me up to be able to write a song and go to band practice and do everything else. And a lot of that and with my own like anxiety and shit combined with, you know, the stresses of regular life that we all experience, mm -hmm. uh, it took a long time for me to just like get to a place where I could, cause the other hard part about finding that place is that I have to have a clear head to be able to do those things. Like if I'm going to read a book and look at art and listen to music and be able to get something out of it, I have to be actually focused and present and not just like losing my mind. So meditating has been a huge thing mm. with figuring out how to settle myself every morning and put myself in a position where I'm way more likely to get halfway through the day and be like, Oh, I do have an idea. I'm going to sit down and take the time to explore this idea. Um, and that's kind of where <laughs> that's my cat. <laughs> I that's love where it. That shit came from was yeah. because I had to like, I had to figure out, I had to realize that, like, writing a song, the thing that makes me so happy, before I get there, it's just, like, this whole fucking universe of being able to center myself and being able to, like, be a sponge and absorb things that will go into a song later and, like, mm -hmm. retain them and figure out how I feel about them. And that's, like, what I have been working on for the last three years. Yeah. And it's cool now because I am in a position where like I wake up every morning and I meditate and I eat something and then a lot of times I go right to the computer and I just write for like an hour and a half. Um, Fantastic. But it's it's really funny to be here now and think about, you know, how the, the process of getting here. Because it was very corny. It's like, in the, in the words of Augusta, it's very woo-woo. <laughs> um... I'm just thinking about the like first conversation I had with Augusta was me sending her a DM of like, hey, uh, like we have a lot of the same friends, and I know that you like Joe Strummer a lot. Um, mm -hmm. I I checked out his birth chart here if you want to like, and she's like, that's cool. I I don't really know too much about uh, that sort of thing, and. I'm just, uh, you know, under the general assumption that if you're, you know, of a certain 
persuasion and yeah. age range at this point you have that's your vibe oh my god <laughs> which is it's such a funny thing um mm-hmm. generationally that that's where that's where we're all at where you know i think religion sort of really petered out in the second half of the 20th century and now all of us who kind of grew up with a like combative relationship with it are mm-hmm. reaching back to the babylonians <laughs> we're going back dude oh I'm yeah not, i'm still not fully i used to be like uh annoyed by it but mm-hmm. now i am i haven't like invested the time in my own information yet but jess is really into it a lot of people that i know are really into it and i'm officially no longer I'm I'm officially on board. Nice. I'll say. <laughs> you get co-star. It's a nice it's a nice way to cool. kind of interact. That's what it. I hear. Yeah. Co-star is great. I got two accounts. One of them one of them is for me and the other one is for <laughs> somebody oh, you need to I keep do- an eye oh, on. <laughs> no, I don't I I I'm sort of backpedaling on sharing this information, but I have, I have two co-star accounts. One's for me and one's for um, uh, a um, a person who might have been born uh, in Dallas at 1230 on November 22nd, 1963. So the exact time that John Kennedy was shot. <laughs> What's Dude. that? What's that person's astrological charts looking like? I tell you what, it's <laughs> chaos. That's yeah. That's got to be a mess in there. I didn't know. <laughs> we don't. We don't need to go off on the whole tangent. But I didn't know about any uh, JFK assassination conspiracy theories until two weeks ago. Okay, we have to move on. But <laughs> we'll. We'll, we'll get that talk. on the next one. Yeah, we'll talk. We'll get that on the next one. Whenever, whenever you put out a follow-up to this very, very strange and also fantastic record at the moon base that you dropped on Christmas Eve. And one of my, one of my favorite things about that drop um, was the tweet that you had that's like... <laughs> Awaiting the saxophone reviews. <laughs> that was a big question mark. I didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't know if I would be, you know, reprimanded or uh, mm-hmm. something else. So that's TV. kind of a fun slash scary thing that you <laughs> put yourself in here. Mm. Did you kind of prep yourself for the... Um, you know, for people to say, like, oh, fuck. <laughs> what the fuck? Um, honestly, I... It feels a little bit this way every time, but this time it was very much this way in that uh, I enjoyed making the whole thing so much. And as I was making it, Nobody heard it, which was really, except for Matt, who mixed it, and, like, mm-hmm. Eric, who heard the roughs, um, which was 
really scary and sometimes frustrating because I didn't have, you know, people to bounce ideas off of. Um, oh, and of course, like, Will, who played saxophone, and Lucy, who sang on it. Like, the people mm-hmm. who played on it. But um, recording-wise, like, it was just me. And a lot for a, a lot of it, it was, you know, kind of driving me crazy. But then by the time I got to the end, I was like... <laughs> I got to the end and I just said, I like this so much. Yeah. I really like it. And I spent more time on this than I have ever spent making a record before. I disciplined myself. And I'm proud of myself. And it just, like, washed over me in this new way that... I didn't even really, I don't know. I was excited to see what people said, but also the, the amount that I liked it yeah. and felt like it yeah. was the first time in a lot of ways that it actually represented like the kind of stuff that I listen to and I'm influenced by, like holy. Mm-hmm. Um, that was just such a good feeling that I was like this. It really felt more, This it, I don't know. It really felt like it was for me kind of. Yeah. So. I don't know. Yeah. That that seriously comes off so strongly. I mm. I felt like the within a minute and a half of listening to this thing, <laughs> I was just like this is a fucking vibe and it it's working. <laughs> and the saxophones hadn't even come in yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thanks, Tim. Yo, seriously, it's it's definitely in the fucking threads of this that this is a very mm. genuine piece of work that you did here. So what? Let's get into those influences a little bit. <laughs> like what? <laughs> let's start with what Van Records are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. In here. Well, I mean, Van nowadays a little bit off the rocker with all the. Okay, but we we saw now. that coming, yeah. right? When that happened, <laughs> that it's like, like, oh yeah, okay. Clapton and Van Morrison are the who ones else? who are, yeah, yeah. But Couldn't Van... think of two people uh, who are just more in the like not surprised yeah. category. Living on a different planet, on planet rock. Dude, Van is on a fucking different planet. He's all he's he's let us known, let us yeah. know that for quite some time. Yeah, truly. Yeah, yeah, true. You ever in, get in into his way, 80s shit? Like fucking beautiful vision. Um, and uh, Ian got me on yeah. one eighties one. I'm gonna have to go. I'm gonna go ahead and pull up my Spotify. So I got. Too. I had a pretty fun. <laughs> I had a pretty fun van experience during the quarantine. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if you've heard of the book Astral Weeks by Ryan Wall. The Secret History of 1968. Yeah. It's on Good the shit, right? <laughs> it is, Have you read yeah, it yet? It is very cool. I did. I read it a little while ago. It was, um, I bought it because I thought it was going to be like, it was when I was in peak Van Morrison phase, and mm-hmm. I thought it was going to be just like strictly about Van Morrison. And then I started reading it, and I was like, "Oh wow, all this shit is, yeah, pretty crazy." That was a that was a fun thing to see develop because I'm a big fan of his band, Hallelujah the Hills. They're great. Yeah. So wait, the guy that wrote the book has a band? Yeah, 
he's oh. a good uh he's a good Twitter follow too. He's just he's <laughs> nice. into that like all that bullshit that we like. Like he 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 loves that infinite jazz book and stuff like that. So when he was like, Oh, I'm writing a book about Van Morrison's Astral Weeks, I was like You were in. Yeah, totally. And that book was fucking fun. Yeah, it was a ride. I emailed him because I got... I don't know how I got onto this track, um, but I I started looking into, like, people who had... People who had visions, essentially. Mm -hmm. And um, and Dylan had, like, a, a thing where he was kind of, like, getting into a sort of nighttime hallucination mode mm. when he would write do a lot of automatic writing and then i think with van it was just based on some of the lyrics on mm-hmm. those records astral weeks astral weeks for sure yeah so I, I emailed ryan and i was like do you know anything about like like where van was on the uh sort of the no stick uh esoteric life and he was he turned me on to those two records where yeah he fucking talks about having visions Mm -hmm. and shit it's like sick and fucking great early 80s production (laughs) yeah i'm so i'm looking now and it looks like i haven't heard any 80 ones but you were saying beautiful vision yeah is the one to do yeah and inarticulate speech of the heart is also very good Cool. It's totally like, aha, the the 80s have arrived. Yeah. <laughs> We're in. <laughs> but but what so Van um I mean you got a fucking song called Van Morrison on here. I so. do, yeah. That was um <clears throat> I wasn't listening to a ton of Van making the record, but I had when I read that book, I was having a heavy Van phase that was like a couple of years ago. And I was really doing like Moon Dance, of course, After mm-hmm. Weeks. Um, what's the one with the, uh, his band in the Street Choir? Yeah. Uh, Two Below Honey, like that Just kind of stuff. It's the heart of it, man. He goes on a run that's like fucking unbelievable. Dude, what a, what a freaking performer. Yeah. Truly. He just, go, he just goes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was really into those. And I think I wrote Van Morrison. When, um, or I at least started writing it last summer, shortly after, um, one of our good friends in Philly died really unexpectedly and oh, Spencer, um, and yeah, yeah. And I just, it was like a really long day of talk and Spencer was about to come on tour with us. Mm. Um, and so obviously that didn't happen and it was like after a really long day of kind of talking through some of that stuff and I sat down on the couch and I grabbed the guitar and just like I was just so beat and I think I had been listening to a lot of Van Morrison and the way he goes and the way he sings and the arrangements are just so like warm and inviting that it just mm-hmm. kind of like wraps you up like a like a freaking you know old radio show or something i know and i just wanted that feeling so i just sang 
Van Morrison. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it, I wrote like a verse, and then I think I wrote the other verse like maybe eight months later. Um, but that was where it came from. That line, I'm all thumbs today. Just... <sighs> yeah. That's, <laughs> that is an exhaustion. Mm. That is like, and, and like, oh man, that's, you know, it, it, it just talked to Augusta. So like Spencer came up in, in there too. And, um, yeah, it's fucking sad. It's, it's yeah, very, very sad. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, you know, one of the things that I took from this record a lot and I, and I went in knowing that there's, you know, there's a chance that this is, uh, all right, beginning of April, I'm just writing and I'm just recording, or there's yeah. these songs yeah. that have been sort of hanging out. Um, but you did do everything here yourself. And was that, I guess, by, by circumstance? Because when safe and also no fear uh, came out, you were pretty high on having people come and play with you again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Would this yeah. record be what it is if, uh, if we weren't in the situation that we found ourselves in? We had, um, we had, we finished a tour like two weeks before lockdown, I think the first lockdown. And we had dates on the calendar to go to the studio, to write arrangements and then record all of these songs that are mm-hmm. on the moon base. Um, but then it happened and we were like, I guess we're not doing that. Um, Cause at the beginning it was like, we're not even hanging out. We're just like straight up not seeing anybody. This is not a good idea. Um, and it was also a thing where like we had finished that tour and we were on absolutely no sort of timeline or anything um, so we were just like, let's not stress about like trying to figure out some way to do this. Let's just, you know, step back and we'll do something else later. And then like a week went by and I started thinking about it. And a lot of the songs I had written over a year ago at that point. Mm-hmm. And I was doing some of the math in my head and I was like, if we can get, if we can't get together until like August to start writing the arrangements and then we can't record until after that, and then we mix it, and then once it's done, it's not going to get released for another, like, four to six months. That's, like, a long time from now. And these songs are already over a year old, uh, and I would love to work on something else. (laughs) Um, So I called the guys, (laughs) and I was like, these are really old. And the other thing was that I had, when we did the Safe and Also No Fear songs, a lot of those were just super stripped down demos that I handed over to the guys and they wrote all the parts. But -hmm. for these songs, I did have a lot of the parts already demoed with like specific ideas that I wanted for keyboards and stuff Mm -hmm. um, and other things. And I was just like, it's going to take forever. The songs are already old. I have all these ideas that I'm really attached to. Um, I think I want to just bang this out by myself 
And in my mind, I was thinking, I'm basically just going to re-record these demos, keep the parts as is, and finish it in like a month. Yeah. Um, and the guys were totally like, yeah, it's cool. That makes total sense. Um, <laughs> and then I got into the recording of it. And we still had no idea how long quarantine was going to be. And I got to the point where I had pretty much re-recorded everything that was in the demos. And I think at this point it was like near the end of June. And I was like, this is fine. But, you know, nobody, nobody's tapping on my shoulder to have this done uh -huh. anytime soon, technically. And we're still not practicing together. We're not going on tour. We don't have anything else to do. What if I just like keep going uh, mm -hmm. and try to, I don't know. I'm normally there, and Ian can absolutely vouch for this, but normally my MO is like you get the idea down and then you move on to something else. Yeah. You don't question it and you just keep going. But this is the first time in the, you know, in the middle of this summer, the way the summer was when I was like, why not just like, you know, keep tweaking. And then I tweaked for three more months. Um, and that's how it ended up the way that it is. Um, but yeah, it was supposed to be, we had dates on the calendar to go in the studio and start working on the songs together. And then there we were. So how would you describe month number two of <laughs> getting in there? Cause there's like, um, I don't want to be leading in <laughs> in suggesting that there's just the just the vision of uh someone opening the door to the studio and you going <laughs> <laughs> month number two was unhappy yeah month number two was uh i had decided that i was going to keep going but i was so far from finding the thread in mm -hmm. like any song so it was just like and also, I think at that point, I hadn't really found a good workflow yet on a day-to-day -day level. I was mm -hmm. kind of just forcing myself a lot. Um, but yeah, it was very much like, with all of these songs, it was... <laughs> I feel a lot more patient now, but it was a real patience tester. Because with everything, it was like, I would have the basics down... And then I would think, oh, it would be so cool if I, like, redid this whole guitar part so that I could then do these two keyboard parts on top of it and, like, X, Y, Z. And I would sit down and say, okay, I'm going to try that. And then I would spend, like, four hours doing that thing. Mm -hmm. And then I would get done and realize, oh, if I had actually done this differently, <laughs> then this other thing would work. And I, like, did all those things. Yeah. And I'm, I'm glad that I did now, but mm -hmm. definitely month two of, like, doing all of them and redoing all of them was a little bit... I didn't know what it was going to look like at the end. I yeah. just had no idea, and it was very tiring. So, but, but you worked through it. And, yeah. Um, did you... Did you ever like lose? Is that is that like a you know the, what you're describing there? Is that as uh, is that as difficult as it gets, or does it does it get much worse? Or that was as bad as it got. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and really the the thing that made it better was I realized I was doing this thing. So in the studio, I was at the metal shop for two weeks, and it was like just fourteen straight days of going in by myself for like twelve hours. 
back to back to back. And that was kind of productive at first, but by the end I was like, this is unproductive. Mm -hmm. And then I went straight home and started recording in the basement, and I was doing that every day. I would wake up and go down in the basement for like eight hours and do that every day. And that's when I really fried my brain. But then I had this moment where I was like, I'm going to take a couple days off. Uh, I'm going to get my head straight. And then I started doing this thing where I would wake up and if I was in the mood to record, then I would go down in the basement and record for like a limited amount of time. Mm -hmm. And if I wasn't in the mood, then I would like fucking read a book or go, <laughs> or go on a walk. And that was like, and then I started having good ideas, yeah, which was awesome. It just took me a really long time to get to that point. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking stupid idiot. I mean, I don't know anybody who's, uh, who's kept a consistent workflow the past nine months. So. <laughs> it's, it's a ride for sure. What, what's the cat's name? The cat's name's Maud. Maud? The cat's name's Maud. Mm -hmm. Jess's old family cat. I love, I love Maud just hanging out. Oh, see, you got you got stuff in that kitchen that needs to be put away. So you're. You, oh, that's yeah. Jess's two cases of Monster Energy drink that hasn't been unpacked <laughs> yet. Welcome, welcome to uh, welcome to the Monster Store. I, I go like, <laughs> I say every three weeks. There's just like a run of like four days where I'm buying one of those each day, and it's like this. <laughs> That's when I know that I need to take <laughs> a fucking you know. walk. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so what, where does the where, obviously like the saxophones, the synths, um, that that's got to come from from somewhere in particular, and a and a genuine mm -hmm. a genuine place, I would suppose. Yes. What, um, what's influencing? Uh, has saxophone in it yeah. um which was just like big you know mm -hmm. actual band arrangements with like brass and everything um but if we want to go full present day um about two years ago i started getting really into like the war on drugs and destroyer oh, yeah. Yeah. and that kind of like super slick big rock but like you know kind of like adult rock production mm -hmm. and it was the kind of stuff that i always thought was really boring and then i started hearing it in a different way um and it just like hit me um and the funny thing now i think the thing that feels good about having like saxophone and stuff on this record is that there was music that I was listening to during recording in the studio that affected the recordings in a big way. Yeah. But with the saxophone, that was very much a thing that I had just gotten used to hearing in music that I liked. And so whenever, way before recording, when I was just writing the songs, I started hearing saxophone. Mm -hmm. And so when that happened, I was like, I think I'm going to give this a shot when we get there. Like, I hear it. I've been listening to music that does this, uh, I'm just going to roll with it. Um, 
So that was nice that that felt really natural. It was definitely not like getting in the studio and then like slamming the saxophone on. Uh-huh. Um, but there was also, I mean, another funny thing is that there was, I've never done this before, but I did a lot of searching in the studio of like being stuck on a song and going back and listening to things that I like and being like, people who did this better than me, what did they do? How did they get through, you know, to the other side and mm-hmm. make this something that's actually fun to listen to and not like a slog? So that was kind of cool. I've never really done that before. Yeah. And it didn't feel like as, it didn't feel hacky as I was doing it. Maybe it will sound hacky if I like say what it was, but I don't know. It was nice. Um, Come on. Come on. Tom Waits. A yeah, Tom totally. Waits. Totally. <laughs> I just had a Tom breakthrough sure. with him. Dude, me too. Me too. Right before the record. Swordfish. Trombone. Dude. Dude. Unbelievable record. Talk about some shit that I never dreamed of enjoying. But I would go in the studio and I would put on... I think Swordfish Trombones was the one that I would put on. But I would like get there in the morning and I would start doing the dishes from the day before and I would put on Swordfish Trombones. Mm-hmm. Dude, beautiful record. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking when you say that of like the title track and just that, mm. that tom, just that little roll on the tom. And it's like, man, shit like that mm. feels so small. Mm. And then you realize that it's everything. That's, that's really cool that you, that you heard that that you caught that, that like, that did that for you. Cause that's the thing that yeah. I get from, that I got so much from Tom is that he did, he, he blew, he blows my mind in the sense that he will write these words that are so like visceral and interesting. And then on top of that, he takes it to the new level by orchestrating this like movie for you. Mm-hmm. And he, he, with every song, it's basically building from scratch, like this entire scene that actually does the words justice of like painting a picture with sounds from everything down to like the smallest piece. And then on top of that, he will find the appropriate voice, like actual voice to present it in. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes he acts like a freaking gospel singer, but other times he just talks like a fucking drunk piece of shit on a street corner. And it all depends on what the actual song needs. Yeah. And it's like insane just like thinking about how much work has to go into all those records like every step of the way. And he he manages to do something. And I think my big hang up with with Tom was you listen to it and you're like oh, this is fucking guy with <laughs> you just picture all the like rings on his finger. Yeah. And... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You imagine Tom Waits in your head and you go, I don't want to hang out with that guy. Yeah, and you probably don't. But, yeah. like, I think getting him as immersive as you can with him. And this is a great breakthrough that um, I'm thankful to have had with Sean from Rat Boys over on our Patreon, patreon.com slash Podcast, where we, we do a show sometimes called... Uh, oversights where we kind of dive in on records that we missed. So it was like Mm. forcing ourselves into it. And Sean made a great point 
when we were talking where one of those songs on Swordfish, you hear you hear Tom Waits just like laugh a little bit at the end of mm-hmm. the song when he's delivering it. And then it's just like, oh, all of this time that I spent being too smart or too mm. like cool for this thing that felt very obvious on the surface. Mm-hmm. He he's in on it way he's more in. than you are. <laughs> it's dude. It's awesome. And I think that it's cool that you cause I was very taken with this record and just being a it doesn't feel like it's concept record, but it feels like music that you are supposed to or not you're supposed to, that you naturally do visualize and interact mm. with in a way that feels like it's a movie or a production. And I mm. really, really enjoy that aspect of it. Thanks, Tim. That was the uh that mm. was the goal. And and you're always reading books too. And I think that I I really like the way that your prose is developed too Mm. we talked a lot about black oak last time we we talked and i think that you took that and ran with it (laughs) i told you i was like i was like you can do whatever you want and you did and that fucking rules i definitely it was it was funny uh when we were I, I, like, was totally stuck on the track list. Uh, and Emily at Lamo is really good with track listing. Mm-hmm. So we were, like, going back and forth with ideas with me and Eric and Emily. And we realized that there was, like, this issue where it was so easy to accidentally make it, like, for... Four talking joints. And then and four then... just straight-up talking joints in a row. Uh-huh. And it was just so, it took so long to like figure out how to actually do mm-hmm. it. But I got to the end and I was like, I didn't realize as I was doing it how much talking there was. Because um, I always, I always love, I get so much joy out of doing that every time I like take the step and actually do it. Yeah. But when I got done, I was like, oh wow, I guess this is like more than usual. Yeah. So. And I, I think that it's it's good that it kind of like naturally came out that way and you didn't mm-hmm. you didn't realize until like the track listing aspect of it because yeah it doesn't it definitely doesn't feel like you're trying to do a thing. I think that you actually cool. you I think you found a really good spot with it too where like you know Black Oak has a tone and <laughs> this has i think just a little bit of the right kind of humor mm-hmm. and i i mm-hmm. there are a lot of lines down here that just like make me laugh and like your delivery is is a good like kind of sardonic like mm-hmm. i don't know i'm making the connection because you mentioned punch drunk love but <sighs> All of the like whimsy that goes into that very strange movie is. I see a lot of that in here. Hmm. I uh, 
I'm just going to embarrass myself and say I haven't seen Punch Drunk Love. Get the fuck out. <laughs> it just worked. It, the, 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 you know, the syllables worked really well. So did you say, you I watched say, the trailer oh, Punch just Drunk to make Love. sure it was. Uh-huh. What's, can I get a character's name in uh, this movie? Fernando? Yeah, all right. <laughs> that works. <laughs> the fuck haven't you seen that movie? Uh, I did actually watch a lot of other P.T. Anderson movies over the summer, to be fair. So it was on the list. It is P.T. Anderson, right? It is. Yeah, it's P.T. Anderson, but it's like... <laughs> I watched Magnolia. Um, okay, the ringer that you put yourself in watching Magnolia. <laughs> watch Punch Drunk Love and it's like, ah, yes, thank mm-hmm. you. Thank okay, you for cool. that. It's the easiest one to watch. Well, nobody told me that. I didn't know. Magnolia was the only one that I remembered like seeing trailers for when I was... 11 years old or something and being mm-hmm. like that movie looks crazy and then i remembered it when i was 27 and i was like i should watch that movie <laughs> and it was crazy it's quite they crazy. all start singing that fucking amy mann song mm-hmm. it's insane um let's talk my friend <laughs> anyway <laughs> talking to my friend dave because fiona apple and and uh paul mm. thomas anderson dated and we were mm-hmm. kind of like looking up when and you know pt pta wasn't too great to fiona apple during that I heard time a little rumor about that yeah and it's like oh what movies was he making oh magnolia and punch drunk love yeah of course <laughs> he sense. wasn't great at that time <laughs> but yeah dude punch uh, drunk love is he he literally was like i love adam sandler and i want to make mm. an adam sandler movie that's cool mm. um I feel you on I'm glad that jokes came through and that oh, yeah, is yeah, yeah. 100% uh, John Prine in the last like two years. Yeah. Total John Prine trip. Dude, he's so fucking um, funny. Mm-hmm. And coming off of it, when we made Safe and Also No Fear I was reading a lot of stuff that was really dark and I was just like into a lot of stuff that was really dark. What were you this reading? Probably just, that was when I first got into, like, Cormac McCarthy. Yeah. And I was still doing some Raymond Carver stuff. And it's just, like, you know, it's not, it's not, it's not, it's so interesting and captivating, but it's not pleasant. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, in a way, I was probably still coming off a little bit of the Mobo trip where everything was so, like, even when we were bummed, we were, like, pushing so much, like, positivity and honesty and, like, mm-hmm. good vibes. And I think I went into Safe and Also No Fear with all these things in mind and was like, I'm good. let's like, you know, I don't know, let's be serious mm-hmm. and get kind of try something else. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was kind of fun to try, but then, I don't know, going into this, it was more like, uh, I don't know, this is, this is more of like what I actually enjoy like i do love john prine i do love tom waits people who will you know not take it completely seriously they will put on a mask for you and like i don't know entertain you and let you in on something you're not working as hard to be profound and that's that's not as that's not a knock on black oak because i think that's an incredible song but i think that you're it's sort of like you have to make a big first step and like a 
big mm-hmm. declaration so that then you can kind of come back and like settle level in. it out mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. for sure and i i i think that like taking that sort of black oak formula and putting it into a song like modern lay <laughs> where you've got so many like funny characters and and interactions and then a chorus with empathy makes me a modern way <laughs> that shit's fucking funny thanks dude i love i love shit that's funny so that's kind of that's kind of that's definitely a big part of getting to the end and thinking i like this so much was mm-hmm. like listening back to it it wasn't even just the music it was like this level of listening back to the lyrics thinking like this is the kind of stuff that i actually read these are like the kind of things that i actually enjoy and i've found a way to do my own version of it and it was like it's very gratifying yeah and i think that i think that one of the um the achilles heels one of the achilles heels yes multiple <laughs> multiple achilles heels um of you know this world of uh pop punk emo thing is is that mm-hmm. there's there's a real attachment to like singer and song in a way mm-hmm. that there's yeah. sort of a like it has to come from real life and totally honest mm-hmm. no filter it's just me and you and this is writing in a yeah. like ex- like i'm i'm making you something mm. do you think that like how do you think um cuz i i feel i i think that one of the attachments that i had to it when it came out was like this is a lovely escape mm-hmm. Did did you put intention like that into it? Or do you think that kind of just like naturally sort of came together with what you were trying to do and also the way that you made it? I know that that's kind of a weird and like uh, boxed in question. But do you know what I'm I'm saying where it's... And and I think, like, the band playing within the record Mm -hmm. sort of has that aspect, too, where it's like, Mm -hmm. this is a, this is a, like, fun, strange journey. Uh, It was funny and confusing and disturbing and pleasant to be working on these songs in, like, August every day that I these songs that I had written you know a year and a half two years ago at this point uh when Jess and I would wake up every morning and look at our phones and just see everything horrible happening and it was it felt like an escape when I was making it um and it was almost like this would be easy to say now. I don't know how true it is while it was happening. But whenever I was really pushing the arrangements and trying to make things as, like, vivid mm-hmm. and enthralling as possible, I think maybe part of that was, like, 
just the feeling of the way that it's it's so easy to get sucked into it was so easy to get sucked into all the terrible shit that was happening mm-hmm. and there were so few like outlets for finding a break to like feel good and still be able to pay attention to what was going on um that I feel like maybe what I was doing was trying to like channel that energy into this thing that could be an actual that in the moment was absolutely a source of joy for me mm-hmm. but that maybe I had an instinct that when it was going to come out in a couple months or whenever cuz everything's bad all the time but just thinking as I was working on it like this is bringing me so much joy if i really push this could i make something that is an actual like thing that you could get lost in mm-hmm. at the end of the day um so that you can wake up the next morning and be like i'm ready for the rest i can like i can keep going i can do this today because i took the and cuz that's what that's what happens to me with fucking records that i love when something fucking horrible happens that I can't handle. I sit down on the couch and Jess can attest to this. I put on blood on the tracks on the record player and I just cry. Yeah. And then it's over. And then the next day I go back to what I was doing, but it's like, that's you just, everybody needs something like that. Mm -hmm. And I think it kind of, the more I do this thing. And like I was saying, the more I accept that this is what I do, and i put a lot of work in this the more i realize like uh i want to take it seriously i want to be able people do listen to my music for you know i don't know i want to be able to provide that there are not many services i can provide for people that are mm-hmm. useful there's like one and i want to be able to do it well i want to be useful in whatever way actually makes sense. So I think that's a big part of it. I think when you're putting things in terms of like the service that you provide, that's yeah. Hmm. I, one of the things that I love about blood on the tracks so, 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 so much is the, the fact that it is the most personal thing that he ever made Mm. and it is within his weird cinematic uh you know flash of images Mm -hmm. and you got you got lines that are just like all you're doing is like changing a a person's name out for something else mm-hmm. and that's your that's your marriage yeah and then you've got a song like mm-hmm. lily rosemary and the jack of hearts mm-hmm. which is such nonsense but just yes. fucking eight minutes of the of a, a film story. oh my god yeah, it's a good ass story it's the first dylan song that ever that i ever connected to i remember that moment like it was we was in, lily rosemary oh yeah yeah wow. hearing that in the car and just being like hmm. this is fucking amazing this is fucking yeah. amazing yeah 
That's awesome. So tell mm. me about tell me about bringing Matt in, because that has to be like, <laughs> all right, Dad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. How do I, I mean, put all these in. books on the shelf? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I had. So <laughs> it was funny when I called Ian and Zach before recording it and said, I want to do this myself. I also told them, I think I want Matt to mix it just because I've wanted Matt to mix something of ours for a while, but, um, it's the timings never really worked out. And mm-hmm. I was like, if I'm just doing this by myself, this is, feels like a good kind of like low stakes thing to be like, I'm just going to go for it. See if Matt will do it. Um, and then by the time I finished recording four months later, I was like, Matt needs to do this. Mm-hmm. There's no, I can't do this. And I need somebody to do this who is going to like sit down and just do it front to back and not give me any sort of reason to like revisit anything or crack open any more boxes. Yeah. I need somebody who's going to like do this <laughs> do a really good job who I trust who will just do it and it'll be done mm-hmm. um, and Matt had mixed a modern baseball EP mm-hmm. a while ago and did an awesome job and he's been putting out he's been mixing and recording a lot of Philly records the last couple of years that keep just getting better and better like sound amazing um, on the last top three Cannon record. of the three man cannon records right three man cannon records uh, Spirit of the Beehive record all the Gladdy stuff mm-hmm. it's just like he does a phenomenal job. So, um, I he was down, and the feeling of sending him all the madness, and then getting those mixes back, the way that they sent. Because whenever I sent him the record, it did. It, it was I don't know how to really describe this, but like I sent Eric. So when I finished recording. I could, I knew why I had done everything. It did sound insane, but I yeah. was like, I know why all of this is here. Mm-hmm. I did the right thing. And I sent it to Eric, and Eric was like, okay. Okay. Uh, and then we sent it to Matt, and Matt sent back the first round. And Eric was like, I get it. Ah, uh, yeah. And also, with me, like, Matt sent back that first round, and with me having, like, this vision of what I really wanted it to be, and then hearing it back from Matt sounding, like, actually amazing, like, even better than I had mm. thought it could sound, was just, like, my fucking, my heart stopped. Yeah. It was so cool. Um, and it made all the work really feel worthwhile. Um it felt so much like I wasn't just banging my head against the wall. So I, I'm so grateful that Matt did it. And just the way that he did it was like, (laughs) I don't know if he could like, he could definitely tell that I had been losing my mind, but just the way normally when I mix stuff with Ian or like, I don't know, we do a lot of back and forth about like, should we try this? Should we do this thing? I don't know about this. But with Matt, it was like, I would send him a couple notes and be like, could you maybe turn this down and maybe do this thing? I'm not sure about this, X, Y, Z. And then he would just send back the song and not tell uh-huh. me what he did and not tell me like what he thought about the question or anything. It was just like the song. 
And I needed that so badly for somebody to just be like, Here's here it your is. Song. I'm not it's giving over. I'm not giving you a I'm not giving you a single thing for you to like hone in on. Mm-hmm. Just take it in and and it's just like Absolutely. And you're sitting there great. being like, Oh, those double track saxophones. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it was great. I he did such a good job. I can't get over it. Nor can I. I Thanks, man. like seriously since this has come out, um, I've been listening to it so consistently. It's been a lot of fun. It's just mm. been a lot of fun, and I I gotta tell you <laughs> that line that you got. You still love the stones. You couldn't have one more bite. <laughs> Thanks, Dev. Dude, it's fucking fantastic. That Thank is you. um that is a that is a love line if I've ever heard one. Thanks so much, Dave, for, for coming back talking to me. My absolute pleasure. This is, it's always my favorite interview. I hope we get to do it every time. Absolutely. (laughs) Dude, you're great. (laughs) 